Many of you know a TV, a medical TV drama called New Amsterdam. Anyone know? Hands up. No one know. Wow. I'm the only one who watched that TV drama. Okay, it's a medical TV drama called New Amsterdam. It's about New Amsterdam in the name of the hospital, one of the oldest, apparently, one of the oldest public hospital in the United States. The main character, a charismatic leader in the, in the show called Max Goodwin. Max Goodwin has accomplished much in, in, the, in the medical field, and he was appointed a new medical doc doctor in that hospital. So that's how it started. He's, he has, uh, he's done much uh, good to, to the industry and to, in, in his previous work and stuff. And New Amsterdam's not doing so well. They invited him and, as the new medical doctor. And he right off the bat, he made radical changes. And it, he actually, in first episode, he fired the whole cardiac uh, department in his hospital. Say, so if you're from the department, you're now fired, you can go now. All of them. So he made radical changes and <clears throat> make a lot of breakthroughs. He's an excellent guy. The doctors love him. Uh, the doctors now beginning to enjoy working, uh, becoming a doctors again, being a doctors again in that hospital. And then what happened is, like any good story, something happened. Then Max, the, Max Goodwin, the great medical doctor, um, medical director, he's diagnosed with cancer. While he seems to be on top of things as, as the medical doctor, or medical director and doctor as well, obviously, he's, he's not doing so well as a cancer patient. Max is trying hard in the, in the show that to ignore, trying hard to ignore that he has a cancer. So when his doctor approached him and, and uh, to do treatment, chemotherapy, therapy, he, he always ignore and, and try to postpone and, and do all sorts of things to avoid it. And when, when finally the doctor confronted him, say like, you know, you got to do this. Otherwise, it's going to kill you. Your cancer is going to kill you if you don't do this. And this is what Max said, and this is what I want us to pay attention to. Remember, this, this man accomplished much. People respected him. And he said this, well, I know chemotherapy works, but they will break me no matter how strong I am. See, that's truth there, you see. We are all, including Max Goodwin, who done so well in his career, in his life, we are all breakable. We are all breakable no matter how strong we are, how successful we are. And like chemotherapy to cancer, suffering and trials in life is to our faith. Well, chemo is needed, in this case, to break cancer cells. And often we need trials and suffering to break our pride in life. So last week we looked at Daniel 5, or Daniel 4 actually. Today we look at Daniel 5. Daniel 4 last week, we saw how God breaks King Nebuchadnezzar. Remember, the great King Nebuchadnezzar in his high time as the king of Babylon, God brought him low to become a madman. His hair grew like animals. His, his um, fingernails grew as long as claws of animals. He became madman until the end of the chapter when he actually, towards the end of the chapter, where he honored God and gave honor to God. 
And this is the end of the very end of chapter 4. It reads this in verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he's able to humble. That's how, that's the last word of King Nebuchadnezzar. If you pay attention in today's reading in Daniel 5, it's no longer King Nebuchadnezzar. It's a King Belshazzar. So, that's where we are today. Uh, many years have passed. King Nebuchadnezzar is now dead. His predecessor, Belshazzar, is now on the throne. So that's where we pick up in chapter 5. And the writing is on the wall. If you, again, pay attention to the Bible reading, it says the writing is on the wall. And we know when there's a writing on the wall, that's not good news, right? The English idiom itself, the writing on the wall, should have given us the clue. That means disaster is approaching. That's what it means, writing on the wall means disaster is around the corner. It's coming, Yahweh. This is the story where we get that phrase. So when you hear that English phrase, this is the chapter where that phrase comes from. So like Mac Goodwin, most people don't want to appear weak, you see. Mac Goodwin refused chemo. He didn't want to appear weak. Like most of us, we don't want to appear weak. We want to appear strong. Uh, in church especially, right? Uh, rarely when you say, hey, how are you doing? It's like, man, I'm, I'm terrible. I'm, I'm going to kill myself. Rarely people say that, regardless how bad they are in. They always say, yeah, fine, I'm good. No one's want to appear weak. But that's often how our God works. He breaks down our pride like chemotherapy breaks down cancer cells. So to help us understand Daniel chapter 5, I'm going to break this down into three sections. A great party, a great warning, and a great God. A great party, a great warning, and a great God. So a great party. Let's read from verse 1 to 4 again. Now, remember, King Nebuchadnezzar is dead. But before he died, his last word is to worship our God, the God of the Bible. That's his last words. Now, King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out from the temple in Jerusalem be brought. That the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, and bronze iron, wood and stone. What is this about? What is this opening verses tells us? It's about the kingdom of Babylon versus the kingdom of God. Do you see that? King Belshazzar say, take that golden vessel from the temple of God in Jerusalem and let us use it to drink wine and toast to our gods. That's what he's doing. 
king of Babylon, the kingdom of Babylon versus the kingdom of God. So remember, do you remember still Daniel's interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream about um, the great image with the feet of clay and iron? That a stone that was not cut away by human hand will destroy the great image. Do you remember that? A stone not cut by human hand, Daniel said, will destroy, will break this image, great image, golden image into pieces. Now, again, the beloved Nebuchadnezzar is gone, loved by Daniel, as we saw last week. Um, Belshazzar is on the throne, and he made not a great image, he made a great party. That's how it started, doesn't it? King Belshazzar, what? Made a great feast. He had a great party. And who is Belshazzar? Before we start, it's important because this is such a disconnect, isn't it? King Nebuchadnezzar worshipped God at the end of chapter 4. Chapter 5, a new king come along. Who is this guy? Well, let me quickly explain and try so help us navigate this story a little bit. The Bible simply says, Nebuchadnezzar, his father, quote, right? So that we assume when we read that, Nebuchadnezzar has a son, and his name is Belshazzar. However, it's not that simple. We may think that, um, that that's it, but that's not, it's not it. Um, let me explain why. Because history tells us, well, the kingdom of Babylon is real, right? The story of the Bibles are real. There is such thing as King Nebuchadnezzar. And history tells us Nebuchadnezzar's son-in-law succeeded him. And his name is not Belshazzar. Then, after that, there's a guy named Nabonidus or Nabonites. Uh, Nabonidus assumed the throne in a coup from Nebuchadnezzar's son-in-law. Nabonidus has a son. Nabonidus' son is Belshazzar. But the Bible, the history tells us Nabonidus was the class king of, Nebu, of, of the kingdom of Babylon, not Belshazzar. Belshazzar was never the king of Babylon. So how does that work when we have a story in the Bible that tells us King Belshazzar? When the history tells us it was Belshazzar's father who was the last king of Babylon. Well, so that's what the Bible tells us, right? That Belshazzar is king and Nebuchadnezzar is father. Well, there's a, a few things that we could understand, how we could understand this. Because history also tells us there's a 10-year period where Nabonidus, the king, the last king of Babylon, was in absence. He was somewhere building a temple for one of the gods that he worshipped. During that 10 year, he gave his son, left his son, Belshazzar, in charge. So he was the acting king in the capital. So this episode here in Daniel 5 happens during that time. The Bible simply records it as the king because he acting as the king. And the Bible often can be read, like when it says the Hebrew word father, like Nebuchadnezzar's father, could be read as simply someone who precedes you, predecessor, rather than a biological father. Okay, so the great king, Nebuchadnezzar, is not his biological father, and King Belshazzar 
Now, when you read this, um, remember what, what we read about what he promised, what King Belshazzar promised people, his magician, as a reward, if they could read and interpret. He says, I will give you all this gold and purple cloth and everything, but one thing he said, I will make you number three in this kingdom. Why number three? Well, he's number two, you see. So what is in this great party? Why is it great party? I, I, I wouldn't call it a great party. I would call it a wild party. Um, let me tell you why I think it's a wild party. Well, first of all, he invited 1,000 of his mates. I've never been to a party that has 1,000 people in it. And you can only imagine what happened when you have a party that has 1,000 of his mates coming together. And not only that, this is even wilder. He invited all his wives. If you're married, you know one wife is enough, right? This is all his wives, not only all his wives, all his girlfriends as well, all his concubines are there. That's not good news, is it? This is wild. This is crazy. This is a mad king. Uh, so history tells us during that 10-year period, um, the Middle Persian, a new kingdom, a new empire is gaining power and getting close to conquer Babylon. This is not the Bible. This is history. Real history tells us that during this time, Middle Persian is gaining power and just about to conquer Babylon. Perhaps in his denial, King Belshazzar, knowing that his death is near, throw this wild party, this great party. Now, there are many similarities, as you can see, between Belshazzar, what he did here, with what Nebuchadnezzar did when he built the great golden image. There's a lot of parallel here. One thing that I want to mention is the focus in the great image that Nebuchadnezzar built and the great party that Belshazzar put on, the focus is himself pride. He did all this so that people see how great he is. He did all this to show how amazing he is. Belshazzar, in fact, wants to make himself bigger than Nebu, the, the true great king Nebuchadnezzar by belittling the achievement of Nebuchadnezzar. You see, the great vessel from the temple of God in Jerusalem was treasured by King Nebuchadnezzar. He was put in the house of treasury. Nebuchadnezzar did not defile the vessel, the gold vessel from the temple of God. He respected it, looked up to it. Yet, Belshazzar said, the great King Nebuchadnezzar looked up to this and worshipped this thing. I'm going to trample on this thing. Bring them out. I'm going to drink wine on this vessel of gold from the temple of God. I'm going to toast the gods of gold, silver, bronze, stone, wood, iron. That's what he said. By belittling the achievements of Nebuchadnezzar, he basically said, I'm greater. I'm stronger than Nebuchadnezzar. That's what he's doing there, you see. So, you know what happened? Who does this kind of stuff? A weak and insecure person. You see, he's, he's not great. He shows that he's weak and insecure. That's why he's doing it. He, he wanted to show the world otherwise, not the true self. 
a weak king who is not even a king, he's just an acting king, uh, working very hard to put on a great party. That's what happened here in the opening verses of chapter 5. So Max Goodwin, remember that medical uh, director in New Amsterdam Hospital? He was just like Belsajar, you see, who, when, when he refused chemo. Uh, he doesn't want to appear weak. He want to appear great. He want to appear awesome. And the sad thing is, we too, Christians, are not. We, we can be like Belsajar and like Max Goodwin, that we, we throw a great party. How do we throw a great party in our life? Well, by working very hard to achieve many things, many great things, and display them, put them on display for our family and friends. Look what I've achieved. Look what I've done. Um, children often do this to their parents. Look what I've done. They put on display. This is how we do it. We, we, we throw a great party by putting on a display of how great and awesome we are. You know, only a weak person needs to prove himself or herself. No great person needs to prove himself or herself. Um, have you seen a picture? I've never met Mark Zuckerberg in person, uh, the founder of Facebook. But if you've seen it, he, this, this guy is a billionaire. And have you seen him, his pictures? He only wear tracksuit and like you know just like like he's just finished jogging all the time that's his outfit that's his outfit he doesn't have to prove that you know he got all the blings he doesn't need to people know he's a billionaire that he has all the money he could you know like buy anything that he wants he doesn't have to prove it you know warren buffett if you don't know zuckerberg maybe you're a bit too old um but if you're old, then you would know Warren Buffett. He's a billionaire again, a great investor, um, super rich. Um, he's definitely in top five for the last, I don't know how many decades, in the world, richest man in the world. He still lives in a home that he first bought like in 1950s, when he bought for 50,000 US dollars or something like that. He still lives in that same house. And they estimate the value of his house to be about 0.001% of his wealth. Well, most of us live in a house, like, I mean, unfortunately, if you live in Australia, um, the highest possession that we have, the most expensive possession that we have, perhaps is our home. That's like 200% or 300% of our wealth. Quite the opposite, isn't it? So only a weak person who needs to prove himself herself, and that's what happened here, and that's what we see here with King Belshazzar. Now, let me ask all of us before I move on to the second point. If people observe your life today, how you talk about your life, what you've done in your life, and how you live, what will they see? Will they see a weak and insecure person? Or they're going to see someone who's putting on a great display of great achievements in their life. What will they say? Second point, a great warning. Let's read from verse 5 to 9. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. 
And the king saw that the hand as it wrote, then the king's colors changed. And his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knee knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, here's the promise of the reward. Whoever reads this writing, so two things he asked. Read this writing. So firstly, it cannot be read. Read it and show me its interpretation. And you shall be clothed, clothed with, the king, the, with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. The king Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed and his lords were perplexed. Now he's no longer putting on a great show, is he? He's now, his color changed. He's no longer the king that he should be. He's so scared with the writing on the wall, knowing that disaster is around the corner, scared to the point of, we could say, wet himself. He's no longer hide his, he can no longer hide his uh, self, you see, behind this great party. Color changed. Um, he was scared. And he said, if you can read and interpret this, I'm going to give you this great reward. No one can, of course, but he didn't learn from previous chapters from what happened when, the, when King Nebuchadnezzar had dreamt twice. And twice, Daniel interpreted. So where's Daniel, you ask? Wasn't Daniel second man in charge? Wasn't he the head of all these magicians, astrologers, and Chaldeans? Wasn't he the boss who's supposed to do that? Well, he was under King Nebuchadnezzar, but not anymore. So now let's continue reading. The queen, uh, or the queen mother, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. That's a mocking, you see. That's a mock. Um, there is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Now, so some translation says the queen or the queen mother. So if you have ESV, you see the footnote that says or queen mother. So it's likely to be the queen mother. She came uninvited. This is show how weak King Belshazzar is. The queen came storming and start telling the king of what happened uh, about Daniel, right? Now Daniel was brought in as we shall read the next verse, verse 13, Daniel was brought in not because of King Belshazzar instructed 
Daniel to be brought in. No, it doesn't say so. The Bible say, say basically the queen say, let Daniel be brought in. And Daniel was brought in. The queen mother instructed for Daniel to be brought in. And again, show how weak this king is. All right, but let's read from verse 13 to 16. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel. So he have heard of Daniel, okay? So he has not forgotten about Daniel because what we are about to read now is about Daniel that the queen mother did not tell him. Yet he knows about this because he heard of Daniel. Daniel was the second person after King Nebuchadnezzar. He heard of him, but he wants to belittle the achievements of King Nebuchadnezzar. What King Nebuchadnezzar value highly, he wants to put down. And Daniel just one of them, just like the vessel, the golden vessel from the temple. So he says this, you are one of the exiles of Judah. That information wasn't disclosed to him. Whom the king, my father, brought you from Judah. I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you and that light understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard you can give interpretation and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have chain of, your, of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. If you read carefully, you see there are a few information about Daniel that the queen mother did not tell him, yet he knows. So he knows about Daniel, he just purposely ignore him, you know? Like imagine your boss try to ignore you. If you're working, your boss try to ignore you. He knows that you are the smartest, you are the best employee, you know how to solve this, yet he overlook you and get your colleagues who is less knowledgeable than you to do the job. He's do it purposely to belittle you. And that's what happened here between Belshazzar and Daniel. So this was Belshazzar's way of belittling Nebuchadnezzar, the great king, because he valued Daniel highly. So Belshazzar is just doing the opposite. Let's continue on. Verse 17. Then Daniel answered, and so he promised him, and Daniel answered the king, say this, let your gift be for yourself and give your rewards to another person. It's like, just, I don't want any of that. Nevertheless, I will read, I will do what you want. I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God. You see, that pattern, O king, the most high, O king, and so on. If you read Daniel previously carefully, you notice as soon as Daniel says this, he will interpret. He will read and he will interpret. He will say what the dreams are and interpret the dreams. He will do what he is called to do, right? Oh, king, this is what your dream, your, your dream means. Oh, king, this is what it's written. But that's not the case here. He, Daniel will go on, what we're about to read, will go on and lecture King Belshazzar. This is the king that who could kill him. He would go on and lecture him. He says this, 
O king, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar, that you belittle, your father kingship, the greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, language, tremble and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed. Whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened, so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down. This is chapter 4, okay? He was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like of a beast. His dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like the ox, like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets it over whom he will. This is Daniel lecturing King Belshazzar. He said, like the king, the great King Nebuchadnezzar, you know what happened to him? When he lifted up himself, the God of heaven brought him low. Until when? Until he knew that the Most High God rules. And now you, who are you, basically? He's lecturing him, right? And before he does that, he, he, uh, he, he just can't stand this king, obviously. He's like, keep your gift. But I will tell you, I will tell you the writing and the interpretation. But he did not stop there. Let's, let's keep on reading. His lectures continue. Verse 22, And you, his son, Belshazzar, you have not humbled your heart. Though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven and the vessel of his house have been brought in before you and you and your lords and your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath, whose Whose are all your ways you have not honored? Well, at this time, you can see how Daniel was so angry with this king. And only then, Daniel did what he was brought in to do. Verse 25. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, mene, tekel, parsin. And this is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tackle, you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Paris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. In our lives, God called us to himself. How? By giving us warning. This is the warning that God gives to King Belshazzar. Sometimes God breaks our pride like he did with King Nebuchadnezzar until he knew that God is the most high God. See, suffering and trials in life is, is like God's megaphone to us, calling us for our repentance, calling us to senses that we have living pridefully, that we have lifted ourselves rather than humbling ourselves before God. And that's what happened here. See, trial and suffering in life may be hard, you see. No one says it's going to be easy. It's hard. And when you're in the middle of it, 
it, it seems like it's the end of your world, it's the end of life. Just like, you know, cancer cells that need chemotherapy to, be, to, to help to break the cancer cells, trials are God's warning for us and it's used oftentimes to break down our pride and our self-reliance in life. So my warning, or God's warning for all of us today is this, that don't wait. Don't wait until God takes away our health, takes away our job, takes away our family, takes away anything that we treasure before we repent and humble ourselves before God. That's a great warning from God to King Belshazzar. Our final point, the great God. So Daniel 5.29, Then Belshazzar gave the command. This is interesting. And Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. How is that interesting? He received the gift. The gift that he said, I don't want your gift. Give it to someone else. Now he received the gift. What is going on? I hope when you read the Bible, you find all this little thing that is so funny. It's funny and it's interesting, right? Daniel has a sense of humor here and he knows how to punish the king. Not only he lectured the king, he first he said, I don't want your gift. Now after he delivered the message, the bad news, imagine, I could imagine, the king would not want to reward Daniel anything. Like, can you imagine the king who just received this message, they, he, he wouldn't want a reward. Now, Daniel want to receive it. It's like rubbing salt in the wound. Then I said, oh, I know you don't want to, but you have to reward me. So what happened then? Let's read 30 and 31. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. That's it. That night, that very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius, the Mede, from the Medo-Persian Empire, received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Now, Belshazzar was killed by whom? We're not told. Um, but that's not important because that's not the point. The point is this, that in the end of verse 31, this is the point, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom. He did not conquer the kingdom. Do you see that? He received the kingdom just like in the opening verse of Daniel chapter 1. It says God gave Israel to King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar did not conquer. God gave. And King Nebuchadnezzar received. Now again, it says, the king Darius received the kingdom. So what does it say here? It simply says this, as what it says, what Daniel has said in verse 21 about King Nebuchadnezzar. He said, God brought King Nebuchadnezzar down. He's like animal until he knows who rules which God rules. That's the point. So why this is important? Because then this is what Daniel chapter 5 is all about. It's about God who rules even the kingdom of mankind. That is your kingdom and my kingdom. He rules upon, over our lives. 
Sometimes we may not feel that way because we don't see Him. It feels like we rules our life. That our health, our successes, all that we have is because of me. We don't see that. That God rules. And that's the warning today is that until we can see and believe that actually God who rules, not us who rules, He will break us. He will brought us down. So while God, this is another thing that I think we should not miss, is this, because there's a clear parallel here between Nebuchadnezzar the king and King Belshazzar. There's a clear parallel is this. God allowed King Nebuchadnezzar to repent. He says he, he's gone mad. God taken away everything from him until he confessed that God of heaven, the God of the Bible, Daniel's God is the God who rules. He's the most high God. Then he was brought back to life, so to speak. But however, did you read any anything before and that very night king belshazzar the chaldean king was killed do you read anything before that that isn't given him an opportunity to repent no unfortunately no daniel read and interpret and say that's it and that very night he was killed there's time where opportunities will be taken away from us. Right now, we've been given warning by God for all of us to acknowledge Him, the God of heaven who rules everything, every single inch of our lives. The Bible says every single strand of our hair, God knows. He counted them. And it falls, you know, when you brush your hair in the morning, five or six falls, and you get older, maybe 20 falls in that morning, God knows how many fall that God rules everything. In Daniel 3, remember Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? The three boys, the three teenagers who refused to bow down, who refused to not acknowledge the king, who refused to acknowledge the king, uh, great image that he built, they worshiped God and they were sentenced to death by the king. Now what we see is Belshazzar was sentenced to death by God because he refused to worship him. Now this is, I understand it's a difficult message as I read this and I dig deeper in this. Uh, I, I understand this is, this is a difficult message. This is a hard message. And if you've been coming along long enough, you know this is not the kind of message I preach week in, week out. Uh, God is a loving God. God is a gracious God. But there's another side of our God that says, I will brought you down. I will break you. And there's a time where that opportunity will be no more. Our God breaks, you see, breaks people so that we humble ourselves and acknowledge Him and lift it Himself. And he does that even to his own son, <laughs> Jesus. He breaks Jesus down on the cross. Jesus was sentenced to death, not by people. We, God may use people, may use the Romans, 
soldiers may use the Jews at that time, but it was God the Father who sentenced his son, Jesus, to die. And the message is clear why he did so. He did so so that you and I have opportunity today to repent and to acknowledge the God of heaven. It's only possible because God first break and sentenced his own son to death. Let me read for us another reference to the writing on the wall, to the finger of God, because there's, there's only two places in the Bible that mention about this. One in the Old Testament in what we just read, and another one in the New Testament in the words of Jesus himself. Luke 11, verse 20. But if it is by the finger of God that it is, that I cast out demons, this is what it means. The finger of God, the writing on the wall for us in the New Testament after Jesus after Jesus' words here, he says, then what it means is the kingdom of God has come upon you. The fact that we hear his warning, God warning about the kingdom that is to come is because the kingdom of God has come upon you. There's a chance for us to turn back now for what Christ has done for us on the cross. This is the only reference in the New Testament about the finger of God. And it's telling us, Jesus is telling us, the kingdom of God is now here. Not the great kingdom of Babylon, not the great kingdom of Persia, not the great kingdom of Greece, not the great Roman Empire, but the kingdom of God is now here. In other words, let me close with this. There's a great party in town, and it's a different kind of party. Not the kind of party that King Belshazzar throw in, where he lavished himself, invite all his wives and his girlfriends, and thousands of his mates, and show off the gold. No, there's a great party in town because the kingdom of God is now upon us. And in this party, I don't have time to go through this, but Jesus talked a lot about the party and connected with the kingdom of God. And you can read there, when Jesus talked about the party, about the kingdom of God, that this party is different because in this party, who is invited? It's the poor the sick, the lonely, the hungry, the widows, the orphans, those are the ones who are invited in this new great party in the kingdom of God. So what does it mean for you and me to be in the kingdom of God, to be invited in God's party? What does it mean? It means this. It's not to lift ourselves up to have a lavish life, to have a great party, to enjoy ourselves. It's not that. But it's to extend the love that we have received from God. To invite those, the outsiders, the outcasts, in to our life. People who otherwise be left out in the community, we invited them in. Uh, every morning as I, drove my, as I drive my kids to church, uh, not to church, to school, um, we say a prayer. I, I, oftentimes, I lead the prayer. Sometimes I'm tired. I get Judah or Levi to say the prayer. But one thing we always pray is this, that I pray to my kids. Lord, help Judah and Levi and Talitha to be friends to those who have no friends. To be friendly to those who are lonely. 
I don't want them to just hang out with their friends. I want them to know the fact that they can have the life that they have is because Jesus was crucified for them so that they can be friends to those who have no friends. So do you know which kingdom you are living in today? Let me suggest, look at how you live your life. Look at your lifestyle. Let us pray.